and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. This week we are going to be discussing books that touch on current events, and we have a special guest with us, Belinda Blue, our Teen Services Manager at the Bluffton Branch. Hi, Belinda. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. We're so happy to have you. We always love having guests. It keeps uh, Anne and I on our game to have guests. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Who came up with this topic? Was it you, Anne? I think it was because Belinda asked to be on the show. <laughs> really? <laughs> nice <laughs> to know that I welcome have made... Welcome to the podcast, Belinda. So, you're welcome. <laughs> Which I say in, in a lot of love because she did... Belinda le- reads a lot of nonfiction and Hallie and I don't read quite as much right. as Belinda does. And so Belinda had some ideas of, of things she thought would be good books for the show. And we said, oh, you'd be the perfect person to talk about that with us. And so yes. she... She didn't invite herself on the show. She just had some good ideas, and then she she uh, was available. Given how much news we get basically on a minute-by-minute basis right now, what do you think the appeal is of reading books that focus on current events? Um, I, th- I think for me, I like to delve in a little bit deeper than mm-hmm. you are able to when you are in the news cycle. Mm-hmm. I think that when you're getting articles, like you said, every few seconds, mm-hmm. then, then it can be easy to just know the surface of a lot of different topics mm-hmm. and not really know anything at, um, at depth. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun to, to get into a lengthier nonfiction book mm-hmm. and, and sort of explore that a little bit mm-hmm. more than, than I'd have time to, um, if I'm just sitting reading the news. Yeah. So, um, and, and there's just things that I think are, are fascinating topics that I, I want to sort of learn more and have a better mm-hmm. understanding of so mm-hmm. I don't do it very often though yes no, me neither. Ever that I, do I know it, so. I know it's I'm not drawn to these sorts of books but I'm always very glad that I've read them and right. satisfied once I've read them that I chose to pick them up yeah all right well so anything else we want to talk about as far as the topic goes or should we just dive into our recommendations uh yeah I think do you have anything oh no no, no? Okay. <laughs> all right great so Anne what's your first suggestion for a book to read about a current event uh, my first book is Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay, and I think that we fought over who got to talk I about this I think we did as well. <laughs> <laughs> because that was one of my first thoughts when we were going to talk about current events books. Yeah, there, it's it's a book that I've I've heard a lot about in the past several years, and I actually have read probably half of it in the past and then finished it up for this podcast. Uh, Roxane Gay is a university professor and a cultural critic, and she has written novels and short stories and has published essays in all kinds of different venues like uh, the New York Times and Salon, and, mm. and she's very prominent on the internet and she also has this huge twitter following and she's super yes. super active on mm-hmm. twitter so so it's really fun to get on um her feed and just see what she's saying about any topic at any given time it cracks me up right now her biggest thing is tiny house hunters do you see that <laughs> I so love i feel like she watches show. so she hates this show like legitimately <laughs> hates the show but she watches it so she and she watches it and comments on it yeah. as at, in real time as she's watching it like she's live tweeting it and it's hilarious it doesn't even matter if you're actually watching the episode it's still hilarious because she's just makes these comments about these people living in these like 200 square foot houses and saying oh it's so much space and she's like it is not so much space it is 200 square anyway (laughs) side note she's hilarious on twitter yeah she's a really really funny person so so this book um it came out i think two years ago and it's a collection of essays that had originally appeared in other media outlets and then have been compiled into this general commentary on the state of feminism and race within contemporary american culture and i picked this um, because it seems like every article I read right now touches on feminism in some way. Um, when I say article, I mean just anything that comes through my Facebook feed or any any news outlet that I follow. 
so if I'm reading things about the presidential election, then it's about feminism. If I'm reading things about Taylor Swift and her friends, it's a, a commentary on on uh, feminism. And so it's I, I don't know that if I'm I don't know that I'm noticing it more because feminism is more interesting to me in the past few years than it had been before, or if it's really mm-hmm. something that's that's more in the forefront of everyone's minds. Mm-hmm. So so I, I was really excited to read this book. So each essay in this book deals with uh, a current deals with current gender or race relations in the United States, and those sometimes come from really deeply personal place, um, like her own body issues and her own struggles with her weight, um, or times that she's personally been discriminated against as a person of color. Mm-hmm. But she also will come to it from really interesting pop culture perspectives. So she'll write about watching the movie The Help in a room full of sobbing white women, and she's the only <laughs> black woman that's there. Or she'll talk about how the African-American experience seems right now to only be expressed through slave narratives or civil rights narratives or Tyler Perry movies. And there's oh, kind God, of no... I hate Tyler Perry movies. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to interject here as an African-American female. I really do hate Tyler Perry Well, movies. she has some feelings yes. about that. Yes, too. I, have this, I have to read your book. Yeah, yeah I have to read, you would love um, this. You'd like you it. would absolutely yes. love this, especially this essay. So to me, what makes this book so enjoyable is that she's always willing to dig deep and examine her own perceptions and how those don't always how her actions don't always follow those perceptions. Mm-hmm. And she'll she'll be really revealing on um, how she personally doesn't live up to these standards that she's set for herself. And thus we have the title of the book, Bad Feminist. <laughs> So in one essay um, in particular that actually made me laugh out loud because it was just such a hypocritical thing to do, she talks about how um, all the problems of of using sexual assault as entertainment in uh, movies and television, but then she admits that she's seen every single episode multiple times of uh, Law & Order SVU. And there's just something that doesn't match with that, but she's willing to to admit that. And she's very honest about about the ways that she doesn't follow her own advice. Um, So even though sometimes I don't agree with the things that she says, I think that she's really smart and and insightful, and I like that she examines American culture in ways that are funny and is willing to get personal, and I really love that her main point seems to be that we're doing ourselves a disservice if we label feminist as one type of person, Mm -hmm. that it, it... we need to open that up to include all kinds of people that, that identify as as feminist and that even if you you don't um if your favorite color is pink and you live tweet uh the september issue of vogue as she has done mm-hmm. then you're still you can still be still a good, good feminist so i i really enjoyed that about about her um overall thesis and that is bad feminist by roxanne gay good choice and good well, choice to you as well. I had one that fight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My first one is Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. And Aziz Ansari oh, is an actor. And yeah, he's so funny. An actor and stand-up comedian. He's known for his roles on Parks and Recreation and the new Netflix show Master of None. And then also there are some stand-up specials that are available right. online. And a lot of his stand-up comedy revolves around dating in the world of smartphones and Tinder and Match and all these things that um, he finds kind of the absurd in all of that. I went into this actually thinking it was just going to be a kind of a comedy book, almost in the vein of um, like Tina Fey's yeah, Bossy like Pants or something, like a memoir, funny book. Yeah. And it's not. It's actually a sociological study of modern dating and, and the way it has changed in the past 50 or 60 years with the advent of all this technology. So he teamed up with an NYU sociologist named Eric Kleinenberg, and they took a look at dating in the modern world and 
designed this massive research project, including hundreds of interviews and focus groups, uh, and they conducted them everywhere from Tokyo to Buenos Aires to Wichita, so trying to get really a good feeling of how people all over the world uh, look at dating these days. Uh, and they analyzed behavioral data and surveys and created their own online research forum on Reddit. Uh, which, oh my gosh. Yeah, which drew like, thousands and thousands of messages on Reddit. <laughs> and then they sifted through all of that and wrote this book. And it really combines humor with science to explore the challenges that come from dating today and it, from finding love. It used to be kind of like you found somebody that lived in your neighborhood and you liked each other well enough and you thought yeah. you could be compatible and you got married and and lived life together. And now there's this idealistic view that because you can reach so many different people that you find the one person in the whole mm -hmm. world that is just absolutely meant for you and how that sort of idealism is actually not good for society and for people trying to find love mm -hmm. because it sets unrealistic expectations for what love is. So it's really interesting. It, probably particularly interesting if you're single, but I think everybody would find something of interest just because it's a reflection of where we stand in society today right. and with modern technology. So I found it really informative and entertaining. And I actually listened to the audiobook, which Anzari read himself. Oh, and I perfect. think that that added oh, to great. it a lot because he has a very particular way of delivering lines and, and it brought out the humor. Yeah. And so yeah. Um, that is Modern Romance by Aziz Anzari. Okay, cool. uh, all right, Belinda, what's your first one for us? Well, not to be a downer, but I've got uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Mm -hmm. It has been on a New York bestsellers, New York Times bestseller list for at least like 36 weeks. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And um, I found it interesting, Anne, when you were talking about a body, because that is the metaphor that he uses throughout this book. Mm -hmm. um, Ta-Nehisi Coates is um, a national correspondent for the Atlantic magazine. Mm -hmm. He wrote this piece called The Case for Reparations. Mm -hmm. That just kind of gives you an idea mm. about his worldview, yeah. mm -hmm. okay? He is African-American male who grew up on the streets, not on the streets, but, you know, I grew up on the streets in New York, but I wasn't, you know, right. whatever. <laughs> so he was in Baltimore in an urban area, and we're not that far apart in age. Mm. So um, the things he was talking about, about guarding, having to guard his body mm. against maybe the gangs in the, the neighborhood mm. or how his father you know beat him not um you know not child abuse mm. but basically you know his father kind of told him look I'm gonna beat you so that nobody else could I, I'm gonna beat your body so that you can protect your body out in the street it wow. was kind of weird the way he said it he said getting beatings by your parents was done out of fear that someone else might try to steal your body um, either through jail, guns, mm -hmm. or the streets. And he says, and his father said, either I can beat him or the police. And wow. so it was, and, and, and I understand that um, as an African-American um, because I did get beatings, but mm -hmm. not by my mom, um, but by my grandma. She would make us go out and get switches, which I thought was psychologically damaging. At, at this point so anyway um it was uh it was very interesting uh this book because um I understand where he's coming from but um at, as I remember telling mm -hmm. you yesterday Hallie we are the sum of our environment mm -hmm. right so in this book he's talking to his 15 year old son about what he needs to do to live free in his black body mm -hmm. 
what he how he has to guard himself and so he's going through the history mm-hmm. of america and how you know african americans are brought here and and we all know we all know the the story and all of that but what he's trying to do is just guard his son he Mm -hmm. wants to protect him but in the very end he tells his son you know what i've always lived my life in fear Mm -hmm. you don't Mm -hmm. and he kind of envies that he kind of envies the fact that his son is kind of carefree yet he's very he he fears when his son goes out alone. Mm-hmm. He's a 15-year-old um uh black young boy and of course his father is is just very fearful. So um when he went to Paris with his 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 wife, you know, just um for a vacation, he realized he saw teens that were just kind of out by the Seine River mm-hmm. and they're just kind of really enjoying themselves and he says, you know, that could have I wish that could have been me mm-hmm. he didn't live in the world with tree houses mm-hmm. and manicured front front lawns mm-hmm. and all that other stuff and he really wishes he had mm-hmm. and so this book um although in parts were maybe a little you know maybe off-putting for mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. I think a lot I think it's worth reading mm-hmm. definitely just to gain one person's intellectual perspective mm-hmm. and I'll tell you this man is really really intelligent mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many times I had to google some of the words <laughs> really? in this book yeah. hello <laughs> the vocabulary I'm like I thought I did well on my SATs but apparently not I did well enough not well enough <laughs> but um it's 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 a really good read. I understand why it's on a New York Times bestsellers list, mm-hmm. and of course, you know he's got Toni Morrison and all yeah. the other um, black authors who really believe. You know, I really believe this book will be in the literary canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's won uh, multiple awards as well as being a bestseller, yeah, yeah. yeah. National Book Award, I think, it won yeah. for nonfiction. Yeah. yeah. So I picked this book. You know, obviously, um, race in America mm-hmm. is is always going to be an issue, mm-hmm. and it is now, and I really enjoyed it, and I think everybody should read it. At least, you know, explore it. Right. right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't have to agree with everything you right. read. Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely not. So. Well, thank you, Belinda. And I think that I heard that he lives in France now. Oh, I think really? he moved his family to France. That would make sense. From what he said in the book. That would like make it. that yeah. would make sense, just because he feels less of a... He like he feels less fearful there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know. He he knows how, um, you know, African Americans have a history here, right. mm-hmm. and there they're just like anybody else, yeah. you know. And 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 to any Parisian, mm-hmm. you're all outsiders. So right. you know, right. it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that sounds fantastic. That's been on my to read list basically since it came out, and I just haven't had a chance to get to it. So that bumps it right up there. I would like to read it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Did you say the title again? Oh, um, Between the World and Me. And it's taken from a Richard Wright poem. Oh, interesting. Cool. Uh, by the same name. Cool. So, you know, read the poem, too. Very cool. All right, Anne, what's your next one? Uh, my next book is The Almost Nearly Perfect People Behind the Myth of the Scandinavian Utopia by Michael Booth. And I picked this because I read articles all the time about how Denmark is the happiest country in the world. And that claim has been made through multiple research studies that have been conducted by universities and uh, international think tanks. And other Nordic countries always are ranked just below it. Mm -hmm. So um, I've myself noticed kind of a general uptick in interest in Scandinavian and Nordic culture in the past few years. And 
Scandinavian noir as a genre is really huge right now. Um, Swedish design is really big thing through IKEA and H&M and um, the food world is really in love with Scandinavian food right now. So it just seems like everything is Scandinavian, Scandinavia, which is great because I love Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of reveled in this information um, because as I've, I've said before on the podcast, I lived in Denmark as, as a high school student and my brother and his family have immigrated there in the past few years. So this is a place that's very near and dear to my heart. And um, so it's just been like, yeah, oh, yay, everyone's finally getting that this is the greatest place. <laughs> so so a few years ago, I saw an article that was floating around Facebook um, that uh, kind of intrigued me. And it was written by Michael Booth, who who wrote this book. And it was called Dark Lands, the Grim T- Truth Behind the Scandinavian Miracle. And I thought, them's fighting words. We're going to have words with him. <laughs> so I read it and I was filled with rage because he makes these points that I thought were so reductive and misleading. And it and just it really annoyed me. And so I've sort of had this angry, like, ball in my heart of, of rage that I needed to deal with. So when I saw he wrote a book, I was like, I've got to read this book and see what he has to say. So... Michael Booth himself is a British freelance journalist who is married to a Dane, and so he's not coming to this from an outsider's perspective. He's lived in Denmark for many years, and he began researching this idea because he was seeing these same reports about happiness, and he never felt like the Danes were a particularly exuberant people, especially compared to Southern Europeans, where there's a much more, um, it's just a different uh, personality type. And he wasn't happy living there. He didn't really like Denmark very much. And so he thought, what's the deal with all of this, this Scandinavia love? And he wanted to research this. And he sort of came to it from a point of feeling like everyone had been duped mm-hmm. into believing this, this uh, rose-colored glasses version of Scandinavia. So he begins to travel around the region to try to understand the Nordic psyche. And he, um, he feels, he comes into it thinking that they're very cold and reserved, which, which can definitely be true. Uh, but he finds that this leads to a deep sense of equality and community and that ultimately that leads to a greater satisfaction of life than is normally found in, in other countries. So he begins to see all the things that make Scandinavia amazing, but without this, the rose-colored glasses um, interpretation of it that outsiders have. So he doesn't, he still sees the problems that are inherent in any society. That's That's just the way cultures work mm. but he he's able to, to kind of get past those things and see what makes uh what how those contribute to a, a really happy um living situation so he he also presents this information in sort of this hilariously curmudgeonly way he writes short stop short chapters about scandinavian cultures uh or cultural touch points i should say that are funny and enlightening, and it made me want to hug the book because I thought he got these really small, nuanced details really well, um, and I, I just loved that. And so, in the end, even though um, I came to it in anger, I sort of had to change my mind about Michael Booth in the same way that he changed his his mind about Scandinavia. And so now we're friends. It's Yay. lovely. And mm-hmm. that is uh, The Almost Nearly Perfect People by Michael Booth. And I would say that this is a good um, read-alike if you're a fan of Bill Bryson. I was thinking that there's, was kind of okay. was Yeah, like, like there's, there's sort of the travelogue element to it, a little bit more looking at it in a sociological perspective versus mm-hmm. just straight travel. But it, it's a really fun book. I really enjoyed it. Oh, so that sounds good. I'm glad that I don't have rage in my heart I'm anymore. you two made up. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so my next one is The Courage to Act. A Memoir of a Crisis and Its Aftermath by Ben Bernanke. And this is his autobiography from the time he was appointed chairman of the Federal Reserve in 2006, which if you know of that time, it's about the time that the mortgage crisis happened, so not the best time to be the chairman of the Federal Reserve. 
And um, although it does touch on his childhood and his career leading up to that event, it really focuses on the mortgage crisis that began in 2007 and what the Federal Reserve did to try to prevent a global economic collapse and the consequences of these decisions. So this on its surface does not at all seem like the kind of book that I would like or be interested in. <laughs> Sounds very dry and kind of boring to me. I'm sure other people would find it fascinating <laughs> just from to the description. To each their own. To each their own, exactly. But to me, this is not something that I would generally be drawn to. However, I read this, or I listened to this as an audiobook, and it was really fascinating. It's written in a very conversational style, which I think lends itself well to either reading it or listening to the audiobook. But for me, the audiobook allowed me to just sort of, as I would be in my car listening, it was like somebody was telling me, a story about these events versus okay. like reading a dry history of these events. Now, did he write it with someone? Oh, or probably. Okay. I'm guessing probably. <laughs> well, they always well, you do. Know. I'm guessing. I don't know that. I should look that up. But I mean, his name is listed as the author. It's okay. not, but I, I would guess he had some help. Okay. We all lived through this. So we know it was a very kind of confusing and scary time, I think, when this was going on because every day in the news there was something else about a different bank collapsing and people losing their homes right. and it was sort of hard to see the big picture at the time because there were so many events happening that seemed like kind of the world was ending. Yeah. So uh, this writes it out in a very conf uh, clear and not confusing manner. It's easier to wrap my head around everything that happened and why it happened, what led up to it, and then what the results were after that. And you know, I think probably to this day, people still think that the federal government shouldn't have stepped in and bailed out um, the companies that they did. But he makes, and obviously he was part of the decision maker, right. so he makes a compelling case of why it was necessary. Not just something nice to do, it was absolutely right. positively necessary to prevent even a bigger problem than what happened. Um, mm -hmm. So it was really, I like I said, I found it fascinating. I think it was a really good overview of it. I'm sure if you wanted more in-depth and a more non-biased opinion, mm -hmm. there are other books that you could read. But for me, I, it was the sort of personal touch because of it being his memoir added some human element to it that right. I really liked. Um, and then just the, the general story of uh, the mortgage crisis I found fascinating. So that's The Courage to Act, a memoir of a crisis and its aftermath by Ben Bernanke. Well, cool. <laughs> speaking about, speaking of government. Yes, please, Belinda, <laughs> what's your next one? My book is um, The Speechwriter, oh. A Brief Education in Politics by Barton Swaim. Uh, Barton Swaim um, now considers himself, uh, well, at the time, he was um, Mark Sanford's speechwriter. And uh, I should say we are in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in his district. This yes. is the first district. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I want to keep my job. <laughs> so I just want to just talk about the book. Yes. All right. Um, <laughs> not to say anything would happen. I'm yeah. just saying... Um, he does represent uh, Charleston and Buford and Hilton Head mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And um, that at the time, um, Barton Swain was actually getting his Ph.D. in English mm -hmm. in Scotland when he read something about his home state. Mm -hmm. And um, he was, you know, he read something that the governor had written. Mm -hmm. And immediately he sent in his resume and cover letter. Wow. Interesting. You know, who does that? You know, uh, basically, do that. really yes. confident people, yeah, who say, you know what, uh, Governor, I'm not really crazy about your, your writing, so here's my resume and cover letter, you need me. Wow. That's pretty, um, 
you know some gumption uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would say that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a different word for it uh, yeah <laughs> I was gonna say off, <laughs> off family podcast <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know at first the governor would not really pay any attention to what he wrote mm-hmm. he didn't like anything he wrote mm-hmm. and it wasn't until uh barton actually listened to the phrases that he was using because you know governors are pretty busy they have a staff of people mm-hmm. who take care of letters mm-hmm. and all kinds of things when the press calls you know uh your statements have to say something without saying anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. they have to be very vague mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and so he, then he would write um, talking points mm-hmm. and he would write all kinds of things on behalf of the governor, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I, as a writer, mm-hmm. I really enjoy the idea of just kind of, you know, being somebody's PR person yeah. and front man, mm-hmm. you know, except being in the back where mm-hmm. you don't have to be seen and all that. Um, this job was not without stress because it really did put a strain on his marriage because he was always there with Sanford. It wasn't kind of like an entourage kind of thing where he was in an office always trying to construct the right words. Mm -hmm. And of course, that got a little harder Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. 2010, 2011, Mm -hmm. after, you know, the Appalachian Trail story, when the governor went missing. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, after the falls, um, after the fall, the letters and the speeches were different that mm-hmm. he wrote were different he had to admit words like family mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. Wow. faith mm-hmm. integrity mm-hmm. honesty mm-hmm. so words that he that, that the government governor had often used mm-hmm. in his speeches mm-hmm. that that he wrote in his speeches he actually eliminated from his speeches so that was really yeah. interesting to to hear and of course he says now um you know, if anybody asked him, he says he was a writer for a disgraced politician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really. You know, of course, yeah. he wasn't always disgraced. Yeah, but and and he did not write the speech, by the way, that the governor gave that day at the press conference. Oh, he did not do that. That was not his because his words would have been a little bit more vague. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a private matter right. and everything. Mm-hmm. But he said Sanford wanted to. He always wants to do things differently. Mm-hmm. He always wanted to kind of speak from the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blanket statement about this being a private matter and you know blah blah blah. He didn't want to do mm-hmm. so. Um, Anyway, I just thought it was a very interesting book, and anybody not from South Carolina should really understand what it's like to to be put in a position where you're a staffer who has to kind of be out in front of things. Yeah. You're working with a team of other people, mm-hmm. and he said that their relationship to him was one of kind of like a drunken father <laughs> where other people could attack him but you didn't you want could, anybody yeah, to right. attack him. you know right. like right. you couldn't personally attack him because you wanted to protect him at that mm-hmm. point right. and so i really you know i mean that that that's kind of sweet right in mm-hmm. a way right you know right. so anyway the book is the speech writer a brief education in politics by barton swaim and you know anybody outside of south anybody in south carolina you already know <laughs> what's going on but um what what happened and of course now sanford is now our um you know representative mm-hmm. in the house but um anyways by barton swaim and uh check it out at your library sounds very good very interesting very, very interesting yes. well, thank you uh we will be right back with what we are reading this week 
right. So, uh, Belinda, what are you reading this week? I'm going to be reading How the States Got Their Shapes. You know, you ever wonder why certain states are boxy and why Nevada (laughs) kind of comes down a little bit and why California pretty much takes up all the Pacific Rim, you know, like why or or how Maine is shaped. And it it all has to do with, you know, either civil war Mm. or slavery Mm. or, um, you know, gold or whatever Mm -hmm. like that. It's very, very interesting. Um, I I saw the DVD first and I was like, I've got to read the book. It's Mm. so interesting. So um, that's what I'm reading now. Cool. You are making me want to be more of a nonfiction reader. <laughs> Good. Then my job here is done. Uh, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, my book is Under a Painted Sky by Stacy Lee. And this is a YA book that's about a Chinese American girl named Samantha who lives in Missouri in 1849, which is the year of the gold rush. Um, right at the very beginning, she learns that her beloved father has died in a fire that destroyed their store. And then she, when she turns to the community for help, her, her landlord tries to sexually assault her. So oh this is right off the bat. So YA book? Yeah, it's a YA book. Okay. Um, so it's it's pretty dramatic in the first few pages. Um, it doesn't stay that way the entire book, but it's a very good book. Um, so she ends up killing him in self-defense. So <laughs> it keeps continuing. Um, and therefore she has to get out of town really quickly and she is helped in this by a slave girl named Anna, uh, Anna May mm-hmm. who is herself escaping her owner they they don't uh, Samantha doesn't realize that at the time but it, that's what comes out um, and they each have a dream of going out west um, so Samantha's reason for that is uh, she's a talented musician and she had promised her father or her father had had a dream that they would open a conservatory together in California so she wants to fulfill that um, his wish and Anna Mae is trying to find her brother that um, she was sold away from several years prior so they're they're um, they decide to take this journey together but they know that they won't survive it as girls so they have to disguise themselves as boys in order to do this safely and they plan to just pretend that they're on the the gold rush with all these other pioneers almost immediately they're they're joined up with three cowboys that are traveling the Oregon Trail mm-hmm. and this offers them a level of protection and security but they're also always at risk of being found out as women so there's a great tension that's going wow. on through this and while, while they're traveling, they form strong bonds with each other and with these cowboys um, in their own turn supply a lot of comic relief in, in the book. So it's it could be a very harrowing book, but there's there's a lot of fun stuff that happens in it, too. And they learn all kinds of things that they would never have known without these these disguises, like how to shoot and how to rope horses. And they encounter dangers like runaway herds of cattle and there are criminals that are on the trail along with them. And so it's just full of adventure and peril. And there's a touch of romance and and um, overall, it's a great story of friendship and resilience and really harrowing times. And I think particularly fun if you're someone my age and you grew up playing Oregon Trail oh, yes. at, at school. So there's something that's like, oh, dysentery's here. I was going to say, all my characters always died of dysentery. <laughs> they always do. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. And that is called Under a Painted Sky by Stacy Lee. Well, that sounds fabulous. It was fun. It, it really fun. does, especially, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a teen librarian yeah. now. So, I mean, I really... You should be reading this. Yeah, yeah, I will be reading that. Yeah, yeah. That's really yes, good. thank you. Um, all right, so mine that I'm reading this week is a little bit out of the norm for me. I read Ramona the Pest by <gasps> Beverly Cleary. Oh, because and she just started her birthday. It's 100 years old. 100 years old this week. That's right. Um, and so I don't, 
I loved Beverly Cleary when I was growing up. I never up. read oh, her. What? Ever. I know it's awful. Belinda, go, I just have to shame. go. Go into our children's room right yes, after we finish I will, this. Oh my gosh, Belinda. Read a book. I don't know. I read adult stuff when I was a kid. Oh, um, so you missed out. I know. She, Beverly Cleary started writing in the 50s and was writing up until I think just a few years ago. I don't know if she still writes anymore, but I know something came out I think in the 2000-ish yeah. maybe time mm-hmm. so like as we said she turned 100 on April 12th which is the week that we're recording this and so I decided to go back and pick up one of my favorites because I don't often read children's books as much mm-hmm. as I read young adult I don't right. read children's and I'm pretty sure I read every single thing she wrote multiple times probably but I haven't really read, gone back and read them since I was maybe seven or eight mm-hmm. um, so it's always fun you know there are scenes that as soon as I would start reading them I'd be like yes I remember this I remember this exact scene Um, and so I'm sure most people are aware of the series the first book was written in the 50s and was called Beezus and Ramona and then followed Ramona and her family as she was growing up in a series of I think there are nine books and they basically are each a year when they start she's four and then the next book Mm -hmm. she's five and so on okay so and the first one really focuses more on her older sister Beezus whose name is Beatrice but Ramona couldn't say Beatrice so her name is Beezus and Ramona is so charming. I just love her. <laughs> she's such a little troublemaker, but she, okay, so she's really just interested in things. You know, she yeah. just wants to know more about things mm-hmm. and she's just got this insatiable curiosity and it can get her into a lot of trouble. Oh. Um, so she's just so lovable. As an adult, she's lovable, like, you know, to read about. But I think as a kid, you identify with her. Or as I was reading this time, I was thinking, I kind of identify with her older sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like her older sister's very orderly. There's a great scene in what the first book, Beezus and Ramona, where uh, Ramona writes in a library library book and so they have to go pay for the library book and I was like you know as a librarian I just loved it so um so anyway so in Ramona the Past which is the book I'm talking about she's starting kindergarten and as I said she's interested in everything she wants to learn to read and write and all these Mm -hmm. things that her older sister already knows how to do that she's felt like as a little sister she didn't know she doesn't mean to get in any trouble but she just always manages to because she doesn't have that much self-control to contain her interests. I think that the thing that Beverly Cleary does so well is she just captures what it feels like to be a child. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you don't understand the things that the adults are saying around you, and so you make up your own interpretation of it. One of my favorite things is they sing the the Star Spangled Banner every morning at school. And um, so she comes home one night, and they, I don't know, they need a lamp or something. And she said, well, why don't we get one of those Donzer lamps? They're like, what's a Donzer lamp? And she's like, you know, by the Donzer light. And it's the dawn's early light. And And it's just so cute because stuff like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, So and even though it was interesting to me, even though this this book was written in the 60s, it really holds up. There's not there aren't that many things that make it feel like it's anachronistic to try Mm -hmm. to read it in 2016. There are a couple of times where they talk about like a game or something. I was like, well, I don't really know if kids play tiddlywinks anymore or something like that. But generally, I mean, all the same things are still true for families and sisters. It transcends. Time. It transcends yeah. time. It does. So that is Ramona the Pest by Beverly Cleary. Well, she does such a good job of making it. Um, it's not really cute. It's right. it's sweet, but it's not it's not saccharine at right. all. So yeah, it's yeah. there's a lot of things from the fifties that are very like like uh, yeah like. I can't even think of an example right now. Leave it like, to Beaver leave or it something. To Beaver, that's so that's right. very right. sweet. And, and I was looking at the series. Um, because I might just, you know, they don't, they're only like 150 pages yeah. a piece, so I might yeah. just continue on with the series. And I think in one of them, her, her dad loses her his job, and in another one, her mom decides to go back to college. So oh, it's, wow. it's like very 
relevant things no matter yeah. what time yeah. it is yeah They're, so now i'm gonna read that you definitely do. i think at the time maybe i was reading encyclopedia brown oh yeah i that's love nice too, that book that's so, so i mean maybe that There's was what i was reading there yeah that's, that's right yeah. so fun Great. Well, um, all right. So let's go back and say all of the books that we talked about this week. Sure. Uh, and go, if you want to go first. Okay. So I read Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay, The Almost Nearly Perfect People Behind the Myth of the Scandinavian Utopia by Michael Booth. And what I read this week was Under a Painted Sky by Stacey Lee. All right. And Belinda? Oh, okay. So I read um, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And the speechwriter, brief education and politics by Barton Swain, and what I'm reading now is um, how the states got their shape. And of course, I didn't bring the author. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. We'll put that um, in the show notes. But yeah. Um, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And I talked about Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari, The Courage to Act, a memoir of crisis and its aftermath by Ben Bernanke. And I'm reading this, or what I read this week was Ramona the Pest by Beverly Cleary. So thank you so much, Belinda, for joining thank us. Thank you for this having week. me. This so has been fun. so much fun. I hope that you'll come back again. I definitely will. Every yeah, time we great. have a nonfiction podcast, we're just going to rope you <laughs> right awesome. in. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Uh, please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. And thank you. Yes. We got a few new reviews. recently it's very exciting i think we got three in the last month which is a lot for us we're really Um, excited we are very excited (laughs) even if you're family we don't care we appreciate every single (laughs) i'm not convinced that those people don't know us personally Uh, uh, our podcast is engineered by adam farver our theme music is kitten by poddington bear we keep our show notes at beaufortcountylibrary.org slash well read where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode thank you all for listening and happy reading Mm -hmm.